Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God. And I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. Hallelujah. Amen. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus for coming to earth and changing my life. Amen. If you recognize he came to earth, that's good. But go ahead and take the second part of that too. He has changed our world, changed our life, and given us a life of blessing and goodness that you know you just couldn't ever dream of until the Lord brought it to pass in your life. He's such a good God. And he does things for us, and when we so are undeserving of those things, only through Christ Jesus uh, do we merit anything from the Lord and based on the blood of the cross of Calvary. But in ourselves, of course, we don't, and God's good to us and loves us just the same. He's a very good God. I'm happy about living with him. I've been moving stuff down and uh, getting my study all set up at home, going upstairs and downstairs, only moving probably, well, from upstairs, I'm right under where I was. I was in the upper room, now I'm in the lower room, I guess. And so I've only moved about eight feet from up there down there, but I had to take the 30-foot, well, I actually had to take the 45-foot, 40, I guess it was, to get there and get everything down there. But as I'm praying and seeking the Lord this week and recognizing and getting familiar with my surroundings again and recognizing the greatest thing that I said when I looked at all of the things that God's blessed me with and I was thanking the Lord for all of those things, I said the greatest blessing of all is not one single thing uh, that, I've, that I've got in this study that God's given me. I, mean, I cherish books. I'm a book lover. I like books. And I said, but that's not the greatest thing. And even the Lord blessed me with this uh, fin- French um, uh, provincial, I guess you might call it, uh, des, a sort of 18th century uh, that, I've, that I've got, and I enjoyed that, but that, that's not it. I mean, the greatest thing was, and I'm praying this week, and I recognize God's presence in the room, that's the greatest thing. That's it. It don't matter. I've been in the woods. I've been upstairs, downstairs in the closet with cardboard boxes praying. I've been all over, all kinds of places praying. And it doesn't matter where you're at or what surroundings you have. What matters is the presence of the Lord there. And when Jesus has come into your life and manifest himself and made himself real to you, uh, you can't buy it. There's nothing you can do. It's the grace and goodness of God, and it's a great blessing to have him walking with you and talking with you in all of your day's activities. And so put God first place in your life this year. Well, wherever your place is that you have that's very special between you and God, make it a place that is holy, a place that is sanctified, a place that is set apart for the master's use, and allow God to use you and to bless you in life. All right. Look with me to the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'm sort of going to do two things as we are headed in this month of December into our Christmas season. I'm going to share with you this morning on the virgin birth of Christ. We're going to talk about the virgin birth of Christ. 
but in my way of doing things, I just can't read scripture or read story without seeing principles that I find there. And it's the most amazing thing because you can take those principles that you find in the Word of God and as you find them, begin to apply them to your life and they may make real change in a real world. They really do things for you, whether it's in your home life, whether it's in uh, your love life with your spouse, as my girlfriend and I, whatever it is that's going on in your life, finances, health, it doesn't matter. You find the principles in the Word of God that were true there and they were uh, to those that the Lord spoke them to and you apply them to your life, they'll change your life too. And it's a real deal. And so I, I love talking about story. I love talking about doctrine and that kind of thing. Uh, and just counting this week, I've got about 67 something doctrinal books that I have in my study that deal with classic doctrines, that kind of thing. And, and that, uh, so, I, so I love that. But at the same time, I see principles that just sort of leap off the page and says, Leon, if, if you'll do this, just like they did it, then God will do for you the same thing he did for them. And I've learned to apply those things to my life and see them happen and see them bring wonderful things to pass. And so we're going to sort of look at that that twofold way this morning, uh, the teaching of what the Bible has to say about the virgin birth of Christ. And also the lessons that I see in this particular passage that we'll be looking in in Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 1. Let me give you just a little um, thought here before we enter into it. The world... For the most part, in fact, the world, all the world, if you want to put it that way, when we understand the classic definition of the world, that grouping of people, that atmosphere, that um, arena that is out there, that is not under the control of Almighty God and not under His Lordship, the world uh, does not believe in the virgin birth. And, and, and because of that, many of them uh, would ridicule you that do. And I would say this, all Christians believe in the virgin birth. Somebody say amen. amen. We do. And yet there are many in the world that do not believe it. They cannot wrap their arms around it. People have went to all kinds of extremes just saying, well, you know, you got a book there that was written by a man. And it's just a man's opinion. Or you got a book there. Someone will bypass that and try to get a little religious, I guess you might say. And say, well, you got a book there. And God gives us stories that we can understand. And it's really not quite like that. But he talks to us in our own language and, and those kind of things. And so people have all kind of ways around the literal truth that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Now... When we look up that word virgin, Hope and Bible Dictionary tells us one who has not engaged, and I'm very mindful of our audience, okay, but one who has not engaged in sexual relationship, okay? A virgin is one who has not partaken in sexual relationship or sexual intercourse. And the fact that Jesus was consumed in the womb of Mary by a miraculous action of God without a human father. When we think about the virgin birth, we're thinking about a human flesh and blood woman, Mary, a young girl, Mary, who conceives and has a human child, we know as the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Incarnate, incarnation means to go in flesh, carnal flesh, in flesh. God in man, the Bible tells us. And we recognize that Mary became pregnant, but there was no human father of flesh and blood that was involved in it in any kind of way. For that to have happened, that is a miraculous action of Almighty God. It don't happen any other way. 
No way. It is the virgin birth of Christ. Nobody from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden beginning to produce their children that we read about uh, in the very first pages of Scripture, all the way down to this time, nobody has ever accomplished a virgin birth outside of Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit from God the Father. It's the only way it has ever taken place. And it is a miraculous event that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. You can look at many religions around our world and compare to religious studies and different things that you would look at. And you would find many people who have risen to the point of calling themselves uh, maybe a person sent from God or maybe even God sometimes they try to. But all of them have one thing in common. They were all born of a human father. It is only Christianity, only followers of Christ who understand and believe that our Savior, our Lord and our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born from above, but not from this earth. There's a lot of things we could look at and study and recognize how that fits so perfectly with the plan of redemption. And per se, we'll be looking at that maybe over the next couple of weeks as we think about that a little bit more. But what I want to focus in on today is that that virgin birth is a vital doctrine for you and I, the church. It is necessary. Take away the virgin birth or take away any miraculous thing of Scripture, and then your view of God begins to decrease and decrease and decrease. Take away the miraculous out of the Bible, and you no longer have a God of the Bible. You can't have God without having miracles. Somebody say amen. That, that's, that's him. He's God. This is not a religion. This is not a philosophy. This is not just a, a creed or a set of rules and conduct that we just chose to follow that men, mankind made up. This is a God thing sent from above. The Apostle Paul, who gave the teaching to the church, the revelation of the gospel, said he didn't receive it at the hands of man. But the Father God gave him the revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. And he penned it for us in 13 or 14 books of the New Testament, if you count the book of Hebrews being written by the Apostle Paul. And so we recognize the thing that we're doing here today is not of man, but it is of God Almighty. And so that's what I want us to look at. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'll read these verses of Scripture, and then we'll begin to break a few of them down. In verse 18 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. How many knows there is life at conception? Somebody say amen. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. 
Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. In looking at that, let's begin to break it down just a little bit and pull out some life lessons throughout the story as we also look at the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Refer back to verse 18. Now, when the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed, King James Version says, espoused to Joseph before, everybody say before, they came together. Now, when we're reading from, I'm reading here from the King James Bible this morning, the New King James as well. And when I'm reading, share some other translations maybe, recognize the Bible is speaking to us in, in, in modest language. It's speaking to us when it talks about this that Joseph did not know her. Uh, <laughs> just about, you know, for folks that haven't really been in the scriptures, they say, what do you mean he didn't know her? He married somebody he didn't even know? Uh, that's a term that the Bible uses that talks about the sexual relationship. He had not known her sexually. And when we read here, and when it says here that she was betrothed or engaged or espoused to Joseph, it says here before they came together. What do you mean? The first time they ever got together? No. Before they came together as man and wife, before they came together in a sexual union. And so very modest terms are being used here uh, in the Bible as we talk about this. But what does it mean when it says they were betrothed? When they were betrothed. How many of you have been married? Say amen or married, whatever. Raise your hand, say amen. Don't be so sad about it. Everybody say amen. amen. But before you got married, you had to propose or you had to have a time of engagement. Sheila and I, when we first started dating in, in 1972, October of that year, I asked someone else to ask her. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be turned down. So I asked someone else to ask her, would she do two things? Would she go out on a date with me? And number two, would she marry me? Because I didn't want to waste time dating if she wasn't going to marry me. And, so, and I didn't want to know any of that until they told me. But anyway, and she said, he'll have to ask me and see. And so I did. I asked her and I did see. And so y'all saw what we saw. So anyway, <laughs> we made it. But there was this time when we, you know, we continued dating that stuff until about, I guess it was September of the next year, almost a year. And September of the next year. And we'd always talked about being married from day one, uh, talked about it. And Sheila's big question was always when. It was always when. It was always when. When, when. I said, yeah, we're going to. We're going to. Guys say we're going to. Women say when. And she said, when are we going to be married? And, uh, and so, you know, we made some decisions then and decided we was. And three weeks later, we got married. Uh, after that, whatever. So whenever that proposal came, whenever that engagement period was, I don't know. But it was in there. But Jewish people don't do it quite that way. The way the Jewish mindset is this, is once I've asked you to marry me, we are all but like married. Now, we don't live together. We certainly don't have sexual relationships together. But once I ask you to marry me, it, it's like a legal binding contract. And you don't break it without a reason. Once that proposal comes forth, it, you, you know, you, 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 let's say it this way, that... Uh, uh, men and women out in the earth, and there, someone else uh, contacts or, or tries to approach uh, Joseph's betrothed or his espouse or the person he's engaged to, Mary. I mean, that, that's fighting, man. Uh, somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to get killed. Something's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you don't mess with somebody that's engaged. Somebody say amen. That's how it was in, in the New Testament times. In fact, betrothal 
was an act of engagement for marriage and was binding as marriage. There's a binding contract. Usually lasted about a year, according to Jewish custom. And Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they did not live together until their wedding. So just because they're engaged does not mean that they live together. They don't share the same bed. That doesn't happen until marriage takes place. How many knows that you don't share the same bed until you get married? Somebody say amen. amen. And you don't share it with the same sex. Somebody say amen again. Amen. Before or after marriage, it don't matter. Either way, don't be, don't be crazy. Don't go nuts about yourself. But so recognize this. When, when I see this, there is an engagement time and there is a time of marriage. Get those things mixed up. You can have some very hard places of life. I mean, you know what? How many times do you, do you hear people say these kind of things and talk about these things? Well, we, we've been together this many years, and then they, maybe some children have been born, and whose name do they have, and does the husband stay, or does the wife stay, or what happens, and there's not a commitment there. You can get in big-time trouble if you do not honor the rules that the Bible sets down in regard to marriage. Let me give it to you like this. Ain't no sexual relationship supposed to take place until you get married. Somebody say amen. amen. Absolutely. Not even during the engagement period. Somebody say amen again. And so Joseph and Mary are abiding by that. And the Bible tells us today, as we look at that principle, Hebrews 13 verse 14 says this, Marriage is honorable. Everybody say marriage is honorable. Being shacked up ain't. I don't know. That seems like an old-time word. I hadn't heard it lately. I sometimes will be watching television. We'll see something, and they'll say something on television. It's like, well, we've been together for this many years. And I say, no, you've been shacked up. What you been? That's just a South Carolina language coming at me. But that's what we used to call things like that, right? It used to be a reproach. It used to be not something you were proud of, something you were ashamed of. Somebody you didn't want nobody to know. But nowadays, my, my, have you filled out an application for anything lately? I mean, you know, spouse one, spouse two. The, the last marriage license that I signed for someone didn't have husband and wife on it. From Lawrence, South Carolina, in the county of Lawrence, where they bought their uh, marriage uh, license here. And I think it was like $45 that they paid for it. Ours was only $3. But anyway, where well, it was $45, inflation went up. But anyway... Where they paid for it, and I looked on the bottom, it didn't say husband, it didn't say wife. It said spouse one, spouse two. I thought, my God, what's that going to be? I mean, that could be anything. Spouse one, spouse two. It won't be long. It might say spouse one, spouse two, dog one, dog two, cat one, cat two. Who knows what they're going to be putting on it nowadays. It seems funny now, but I would have thought it had been funny years ago to see spouse one and spouse two on there. But, but marriage is honorable. Godly marriage is honorable, Hebrews 13, 4 says, is honorable among all, and listen, and the bed undefiled. The marriage bed is the place for sexual relationship to take place. Say amen, everybody. Amen. amen. That's where it happens in the marriage bed. Anything else is not sanctioned of God, not approved of God, indeed is sinful where God is concerned. The, the Bible tells us, in, in fact, let, let me, you know, let, let's just look. Go, go with me there, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 
Oh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Here's some of that old-time gospel preaching that you used to hear in churches many years ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? How many believes that? Say amen. Who are the unrighteous? Do, you, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Ain't none of these people inherited the kingdom of God. Ain't none of these people going. You, you can look it down, and I'm reading to you the New King James Version, which said, includes the words there, no homosexuals, no sodomites, no fornicators, no adulterers. What, what, what is fornication? Fornication is an umbrella word. Pornia is where it is. And this word fornication is an umbrella word for all kind of sexual sin. Under the umbrella of fornication, you would have adultery. Adultery has to do with people who are married or someone, at least one person being married, committing sexual sin or committing fornication is classified as adultery. You can have some other stuff. And the Bible does talk about this Old Testament well. You can have the homosexuals in there as well. That's also included under that. You can have this nutty stuff, bestiality. That's included under that. You can have child molestation toward children sexually. That's included in that. It's under this umbrella tongue, umbrella word. And when you look at it, Scripture tells us none of those folks are headed toward heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, there's some other sins we could mention, okay? But in this particular passage, that's the sins that we just read that are mentioned there. You say, then, what happens then? If, if that's the case, Pastor, and they do not inherit the kingdom of God, uh, what happens to these people that are involved in that sin who do not repent of it, who do not confess it, who not get their sins washed away under the precious blood of Jesus Christ and remain unforgiven? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and second to death. And so we know what is the outcome of the people that continue in this kind of sexual sin. And so when we look and we read and we see what's, what's happening, Mary and Joseph are doing things the right way. If you're going to get married, do it the right way. Somebody say amen. Amen. You don't, you don't need to be out there and people will lie to you. And, you know, people will uh, betray you and tell you, oh, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you, you know, forever. You and I, are, we, we're soulmates. Well, can we get married? No, but we're soulmates. You ain't soulmate if you won't get married. How are you a soulmate and you're not going to get married? Oh, I, 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 but we're soulmates. I don't believe in marriage. Well, good. Get away from me then. You can believe it. You say, this is America. I can believe anything. Sure you can. You can believe anything you want to in America. It doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you're not batty and crazy either. But you can still believe anything you want to believe. But that don't mean we got to believe it. And there needs to be some people in America who stand up for the Word of God and believe what the Word of God says. Amen? Amen? That's one of the things God sent to the big mess we into today. And we get involved in things with circumstances and situations and causes poverty in people's lives when marriages go awry and children here and children there and don't know their parents, don't have that relationship that they need to have. 
You know, and I, and I grew up, <laughs> my parents were separated when I was nine years old from then on. So I know what it is to live in a home with, with one parent. And I'm not saying that parents can't do their best and do the very best they can do. And, and that's good. And thank God for that. We have to do it with what we've got to do, do with. But it's so much better to have mom and dad both in that home. Amen? It is. And this kind of stuff of people not honoring the sacredness of marriage and the honorable ability of marriage, it destroys societies. And it will destroy our country and any country that does not honor marriage. And it doesn't matter if the Supreme Court of the United States of America in 2015 said two men or two women could get married. It didn't change God's word one little bit. Not one bit. That's that John Wayne attitude. Have you changed, Leon? Not one bit. Everybody say, not one bit. It don't change things one bit. I mean, you can find this out about the Supreme Court. They've made rules over the uh, past uh, centuries, and they've changed them too. And they can change that one back too. And if they don't want to change it back, when judgment day is going to come, somebody's going to fall on their knees crying, begging to God, wish they had it. I mean, there's a judgment day coming. Amen? Amen. Now you're talking about hell and fire and brimstone. I thought you were talking about the virgin birth. All right, let's go back. Go back there in Matthew chapter 1. Now then. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded... And, and said, said, was minded to put away secretly. But while he thought about these things, stop right there. I've got several little things I want to show you right there. Several little things about Joseph. Joseph is engaged to Mary, and now he finds out she's pregnant. So what is he going to do now that he's married to Mary, find out she's pregnant? Because here's what the law said. The law said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 20, when there is evidences of virginity are not found in the young woman. And you find that she's not a virgin. Verse 21. Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of the father's house. Why? Dad, you should have kept that daughter straight. Somebody say amen. They bring the daughter out to the father's house. Pop. It was your, you, the head of this household. It's a federal headship, as it talked about in the Old Testament, Old Covenant. And you're responsible. You were supposed to raise that daughter to present her to a young man one day in the bonds of holy matrimony. Same way with the guy, too, okay? Same with the guy, too. But here, verse 21 in Deuteronomy 22, Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. She has played the harlot in her father's house. She brought disgrace to her family. So you shall put away the evil from among you. That was a law that God had given Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, the Torah. That was a law that they had. And there's going by. So now Joseph finds out Mary has become pregnant here. He don't know what's going on yet. Okay. In his mind still, what is going on here? This woman I'm a spouse to, the woman I'm engaged to, now tell me she's going to have a baby? She's pregnant and then no, it ain't me? It, what, what's going to happen? Hey, we can take her to her father's house, out the front door, call the men of the city, tell them what's going on, and we'll just stone her. 
That was the old covenant law. That was what was there. Now then, let me show you a few things that, that Joseph did in his consideration of what to do. Because sometimes you face circumstances, situations in your life, you don't know what to do. And you know that something has happened, you know it's not right, you know it's not good, but what am I going to do about it? And how do I handle it? And how do I make things happen for good? How, how do I do it God's way? Let me show you just a few things. I think I've got what, four or five points right here, four points I want to show you. One, verse 19, Joseph being a just man. Everybody say just. Just man. The word just has to do with this when we think about justice. It has to do with the fulfillment of the duties toward God and men. If you are a just person, you have a duty to do right before God. You also have a duty to do right by your fellow man. You can't treat your fellow man one way, unjustly, and come to God and say, God, I treat you justly. Let me give you some example. Let's say you came to the house of God today. That's great. I'm glad that you're here part of service online as well. I'm glad that you're part of the service today. God bless you. You've done a just thing. That's a good thing that you've done. Maybe you've stood here this morning or online and you've raised your hands and you've worshiped, you've praised, you've sang a song with us. That's good too. You've done a just thing. Maybe you shared in giving and sharing time. That's good that you shared your financial resources. Maybe you're listening to the word right now. You're doing good things. Let's say when you leave here today, you go home and you find your next door neighbor beside of you, throw trash in your yard and you go next door and shoot him and kill him. That's bad. You just blowed your justice all away. Because you're not going to be just toward God one way and hate every other human being you know. Be just toward God one way and out to get everybody else in life. Out to, you know, cheat people and be against them and curse people and, uh, you know, all those guys. That's not going to happen. You can't do that. Justice requires that you do rightly before God and that you do rightly before men. Notice, notice what, as I read this, notice Things that were in accordance with right, right conduct, judge whether by the divine standard or a human standard. Human standards, there's some good human laws, and you hear some of those, and you know mankind didn't come up with those. They got them based on the law of Moses. They got them based on the laws from the Word of God, and they brought them into our society. So there are some things that the Bible teaches us that we ought to do. We ought to obey the governments and obey the laws of our land. And if you're a just person, you're going to do that wherever it is possible for you to do that. Now, if the laws of the land make a land a law that is unjust, of course, those things are things that we sometimes do not have to obey because they're an unjust law. But the things that are just and right and good, we, we need to obey those and walk with them. Well, Joseph is that kind of person. He is a just man. He's not wanting to do wrong by Mary. He's not wanting to do wrong by her family. He's not wanting to do wrong by himself or his own family. He's thinking, what is it I'm going to do? What is justice in this situation? The Bible says in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, Scripture says this, What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly before your God? God requires us to do justly. And when we face circumstance, situation in our land today, which we're facing a big one now in our country, God requires us to do the right thing, to walk justly before God and walk justly before our fellow man. You can't walk unjust and say, well, you know, I mean, if you made an agreement with your employer and your employer says, I'm going to pay you so many dollars an hour and you make that agreement, that's what you're working for, you don't. You know, not work those hours. 
you don't not punch that time clock. You don't punch the time clock and then uh, sit down, that kind of thing. You, you, don't, you don't do that. No, you do a just day's work for a just day's pay that you have agreed to between you and your employer. If you do not like your wages, and that's fine, then there's other jobs that you can go to. Or you can talk to your employer about it. But you never, ever cheat or take something that doesn't belong to you. Somebody say amen. That's justice. Joseph is that kind of man. He's going to do the right thing by his engaged wife or his espoused wife that he has. He's going to do the right thing by her. Now look at verse 19. AJ, would you have me just a minute here? Let me get back where I'm at. Matthew verse 19. Notice this. Notice what it says here. He did not want to make her a public example. Not make her a public example. Uh, how, how many of you have a Twitter account? Anybody have a Twitter account? I got one. You got one? I got one. How many of you have a Facebook account? I got one. You got one. More of you got those. Don't, don't get on there and tell everybody, everybody, your whole business, your whole life. And, don't get out there and cuss out all your relatives on there. Are you crazy, as they say? <laughs> he didn't want to make a public example. Let me, let, let, let's be honest. Have some things ever went bad in your family and my family? Everybody say, amen. Oh, God, help us. Yeah, yeah, we've had some bad stuff. But don't get on there and tell everybody all the bad things going on in your family. Let me break the news to you. Most of them don't care anyway. All, all they care about is finding out what they can know about you that somebody else didn't know, and then they're going to run to somebody else. Hey, did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what's going on? Don't, don't bring everything out into the public. Joseph said this, I, I'm not going to make a public example out of her. I'm not going to make a public example. In other words, I, 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 don't, I don't want this stuff to get out. Do, do you have to tell everything about your life? To no. No, you don't. And you shouldn't. You should. There are people out there, if they know the right thing about you or what they call the right thing, and they find it out, they'll use it against you in every single way they can. They'll blackmail you. They'll hold it against you. They'll do all kinds of stuff. You don't have to tell everybody everything that goes on in your life. And Joseph is looking at it like this. I don't want to put her through the ridicule of a public example. I don't want to do that. Well, what Jesus said, I hear people from time to time over the years pastoring, I've heard people say, you think anybody in church sins? Yes. Why don't you call them up in front of the church and tell them to quit their sinning? <laughs> because Jesus said that in the church there are wheat and there are tares. And Jesus said, let them both grow together. And Jesus said, on the day of judgment, he will separate the wheat from the tares. Amen? Oh, boy, you're relieved now, aren't you? But anyway, <laughs> we, we, are, we are relieved. <laughs> but, but he didn't want to make a public example out of her. And, and that is not something that, that you, you, know, you know, need to be doing when we're confronting any kind of problems, we, we, we don't tell. We don't tell. We don't tell everything. Somebody said, well, I didn't know that. You weren't supposed to. 
I'll have people sometimes counsel with me, and they'll have an issue or problem, and bring it up, and I say, now listen, you know, you don't have to tell me this. If you've told it between you and God, that's all that's important. I don't need to know, really. I really don't need to know. And over the years of our life, uh, the things that I have known, I don't tell my wife. Not because we're not one, and I might not could share. With, and, and, and over the years, we, you know, maybe I had a discussion that I needed to get some other counsel on and advice and sort of talk some over. There may have been a few issues like that. But most everything else in the world, I, I don't ever tell her anything, anything I know. Number one, I want her to keep the best attitude of everybody in the world. I mean, she does. She thinks everybody in here got on angel wings this morning. She really does. <laughs> she does. And that's good. That's great. I mean, and I like to keep that attitude too. And we've all missed it. We've all missed the mark. We've all done the wrong. We've all committed sin. And for the sins that we've committed, we need to confess and ask God to forgive us. Somebody say amen. amen. And if he's forgiven us, then it ain't nobody else's business after that. It ain't mine, ain't yours, ain't nobody else. And you ought not to be wanting to go out and tell everybody, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what? I mean, you hear that stuff all the time. My goodness, and I have to say it about my own, own uh, group of uh, relationships I have, and preachers and that kind of stuff. You hear it all the time about preachers did this and preachers did that. I mean, just, just amazing what some preachers would do. You nut. Why in the world did you go out on a boat on a yacht with a teenage girl and dress the way y'all was and take pictures and put it on Facebook? Why did you do that? I'm not mentioning that guy's name, but why did he do that? But he did. He did. Was he wrong? He absolutely was wrong. He need to confess before God? Yes. But I don't take any pleasure in bringing to faults the sins of any one of us before the public. And you don't need to do that. If there are situations and circumstances that need to be dealt with, then let it be dealt with the Jesus way. You go to him and him alone. If he receives the counsel, then you've gained your brother. If he doesn't, you might have to go with two or three other children of God to go with you. If he hears them, fine. If he doesn't, you may have to bring it before the church. But you don't just start blabbing everything in the world that you know and get it out in the public. Keep it to yourself. Somebody say amen. He don't want to make a public example to it. This is what Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14. A wise man holds his tongue. Only a fool blurts out everything he knows. And this leads only to sorrow and trouble. Look at verse 19 again. Notice this. He was minded to put her away secretly. I know what I'll do. I'll keep this all secret. I'll take her somewhere and put her away secretly somewhere. And they won't know where she's at or what she's doing. And we're just going to hide this thing. And when somebody asks you next, where is Mary, Joseph? What happened to her? Well, she's taking a, you know, a few weeks uh, uh, vacation on the French Riviera, and she'll be there and won't be back to so-and-so. And going to put her away secretly, going to do that. Or going to do an issue while she has this child, hide her somewhere while he, she hides this child and has a child and once that's over with, then we'll come up with something else, whatever. But, but that's, that, he was minded to do that. Now, minded to do that, I'm sort of casting in a little, you know, bad light right there, but there's this good side of it too. Well, what can I do? I don't want to expose her publicly. Maybe I need to hide her. Maybe I need to put her away secretly where anybody won't know, and then they won't have to ridicule her for this, and she won't get stoned to death, and she won't face the reproach of her community and her family. Uh, Maybe I need to do that. And so he's thinking of that. And when I thought of that, I recognized this. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. 
And at this time, Joseph don't know, but it's not a sin at this time. He's about to learn differently. But at this time, he, he don't know. All he knows is the woman that he loves, that, that he's engaged to, that he's going to be about to be married to, has come up pregnant. That's all he knows. And at this time, he has in him, I don't want to expose her publicly. Maybe I'll put right here away privately. Why? Because love covers sin. Love covers sin. If somebody comes up to you and asks you about someone else and says, have you heard so-and-so about them, what they did? Maybe you ought to say, no, and I don't want to know. Or maybe you don't know everything about the circumstance in the, in, the, in the first place. And maybe you don't understand what happened at all. You know, maybe you haven't heard the whole story. Oh, yeah, they got it on video. They got it on tape. They can do amazing things with video and tape nowadays. It's amazing what they can chop up and cut up and this kind of stuff and put out there. It's, it's an amazing thing. But Joseph had that heart. He wanted to cover it, not expose it. He didn't want it to be public. He was trying to keep it away privately. He's thinking, maybe that's what I ought to do. The Bible says this in Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. When you cover a transgression, somebody says, you're seeking love with that person. You're doing the right thing. You're honorable toward them. First Peter 4, 8 goes on almost the same thing. says this, when you've heard a lot, I'm sure. says this, love will cover a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Not just one, but a multitude of sin. Let me tell you something. If you live on earth long enough, you will find that you know people who have sinned. You will find you will know people who have sinned a lot and have sinned by the multitude. You and I may even be some of those people sometimes. Amen? Maybe so. And the Christian thing to do is not to broadcast it and put it out everywhere, but to cover it. Or you say, you're trying to hide something because you won't deal with sin. And that's not the case. You can deal with sin without offending that person or embarrassing that person or destroying that person. If there needs to be a time to confront that person, talk, you can do that. If there needs to be a time, if there's such a serious accusation or sin or different things that are going on, someone called me the other day and said, I want to talk to you just a minute. And I said, okay, what is it? And they said, well, look, you've got to promise me you won't tell what I'm about to say. And I said, well, you might as well end the conversation now because I'm not going to promise you that. They said, you're not? I said, no. I said, why not? I said, because if you tell me you're about to kill your wife, I'm going to call the cops and get on the phone. <laughs> tell them you told me you're about to kill your wife. And so if you're going to call me and you won't talk to me and you're going to trust me to give you counsel, you're going to also have to trust me to keep things confidential. And 99.9% .9 of everything I do, I keep confidential. I ain't telling nobody nothing. That's where I'm going to be. But if the need arises and something has to be dealt with, it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with in the right way. And so, so Joseph is of the mindset that he wanted to cover this thing and not expose it. Cover it, not expose it. Let me get the last one I saw. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, but while he thought about these things, notice while. I don't know if you know what while means, but here in South Carolina, when somebody says, are you coming? Yeah, we'll be up there after a while. That means we ain't coming right now, right? And some people ain't come yet, have they? You never will see them. But a while means a while. It means you wait a while. I mean, you, you delayed your coming. You paused a little bit. Be up there after a while. Be up there later on. That's how we talk around here. So I'll be up after a while. And, and, and so Joseph here, he says, while he thought. When you face a circumstance situation, don't run right out and try to solve it that instant. You might need to think about it a little bit. You might need to put just a little bit of contemplation about it. Think about, well, if I do this, what's going to be the recourse? What's going to be the action? What's going to be uh, the consequences? Or if I do this... What's going to be recourse, action, and consequences? I've got to think about it. 
going to have to sort of meditate on. You may even need to get some counsel while you think about it. Ask someone else that you trust and you value their opinion. You have confidence in their judgment-making abilities. And you stop. You think about it. You don't just rush right out. I, I, amazing. I mean, I'm a, a firm believer. Uh, I hear people talk about gun violence and that kind of thing. In, in there. I know some people ha have run out real quick and got a gun and shot somebody with it before they knew what was going on and after that. But, but on the other hand, I also recognize this. Ain't no gun never killed nobody. Somebody had their finger on that gun that did it. It was a heart of an evil person that did that. Hard of a wicked person that did that if it's an issue of murder. That's what's going on. And, and so, but, but still people rush out and do something, do something crazy, do something nutty, that kind of stuff, and get themselves in a lot more trouble because they didn't have any time to stop and think about it, to contemplate it. They rushed into a decision. The Bible tells us this in the book of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. You can be excited Without knowledge, that ain't good. A lot of people get excited, but they ain't got a clue in the world what they are doing. And they go out to begin to do things. And just because, I mean, you know, I learned years ago, just because you put on an electrician's tool bag don't mean you better be messing with electricity. Because I've seen some people do crazy things. Crazy things. I was out yesterday. I don't know what it is. But as I don't parking lot, and we're redoing our parking lot, they're cleaning the sidewalks. Wow, it's looking great. But anyway, it made a little mess on the parking lot, but they're still got another day or two to doing it. They're cleaning the sidewalks, fixing all stuff. It is looking great. So anyway, I'm out there, and the guy that's uh, in charge of the business there, he comes up to me and like this, and he sticks his hand out. Well, as soon as I got out of the car, I said, mm, well, like that. Yeah. I said, I don't mind shaking your hand, but you get shot. He said, no, you won't hear. He went, it shocked him just that quick. I'm walking electricity. I don't know what it is. But I, everywhere I go, I get shocked. I mean, I'm bumping stuff like this, trying to get indoors and all kind of stuff. I get shocked. I mean, people hear it. It pops like that and see fire, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm electrical. I don't, whatever it is, it's something that affects the top of my head too. But anyway, it, it's out there. But he went ahead and shook my hand, and he got shocked. But now the next time I saw him, the next time I saw him, and he walked up to me, he said, hey, real man, how you doing? He stood back like that. Because he knew he'd get shocked. Think about stuff. You get burned. You get shocked. You, you, you get destroyed. You get embarrassed. You ruin somebody else's life. Joseph thought about this. What am I going to do? I know what the law says. I understand that. It'll come to law. I understand here I'm a just person. I want to do the right thing. I, I'm not trying to make, make a public example of her. I won't put this away privately. But he's thinking about it. Give some thought to the thing. Don't decide that very second. Some things you don't decide that very day. Some things not that very week. Some things not that very month. How much thought, Pastor? I don't know. It depends on the circumstances. depends on who you're dealing with. It depends on you. All those things play into that. There's not a pat answer what you should do. I had a guy from China wrote me something. It's, just, it's been, um, he just got saved a few weeks ago. And watching online, believe it or not, you wouldn't believe that. But a young guy from China, and he wrote me, and he said this. He said, uh, look, he said, uh, I'm thinking about moving to Canada or Europe. Won't you pray and ask God which one I ought to go to? I wrote him back and said, I'll pray that God leads and guides you, but I'm not telling you which one to go to. Or we have to go at all. You don't go anywhere unless the Lord speaks to your own heart. You're the one going to have to live in Canada or Europe if you go there. Not me or anybody else that tells you what to do. So just slow down. 
Think about it. Pray about it. Try to get to mind of the Lord and find out what's settled in your spirit, settled in your heart. And the Spirit of the Lord t- touch you and let you know which way you ought to go. Give him confidence. But we don't have to know everything just that quick and just that instantly. Wait. Don't rush. Don't rush. All right. Let's go just a little bit further this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. <clears throat> but while he thought about these things, here's the good news. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. In other words, God is intervening now. Saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived is her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, ain't no man been involved. This is a God thing that's taking place. Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. Notice what the angel says. The angel's got some good advice, too. The angel, first thing he says, verse 20, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whenever God begins to move in your situation, do not fear. You remember that when Jesus was walking on the water and there was a storm there and he's about to get in the boat and he's going to steal the water, he's going to get rid of the storm. But disciples, when they see Jesus, they are afraid because he is walking on the water. Sometimes in the things of God, the things that we look at are subject to and could bring fear in our life. But don't be afraid once God is involved. God can do some wonderful things in your life that won't be natural. They'll be supernatural. They'll be the God kind of things. And just because God's doing something in a powerful, supernatural way, don't let it scare you. Don't be afraid of it. Don't move into that fear. It can shut you down if you do. And the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Everything's okay. This that's in her is born of the Holy Spirit. It's conceived of God. It is a virgin birth that is about to take place. In verse 20, it also said, For that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. A God thing is happening for her. Look at verse 21. She will bring forth a son. Notice God begins to move and tells him what the future is going to be. Here's how it's going to happen. Here's what's going to take place. She's going to bring forth a son. A direct prophecy from the book of Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9 that tells us that. Verse 10, that God knows the beginning from the ending. He knows what's going to happen. And so once God gets involved, all fear should leave your life. Once you have prayed and sought God and believed and trusted in Him, every bit of fear should leave your life. There should be no fear in your life when you do what God has told you to do. In, in September of 1982, uh, the Saturday morning that the Lord spoke to my heart on a three-day fast on that morning in the woods behind my house where I now live, when the Lord spoke to me and do exactly what I'm doing today and building this church, every bit of fear vanished. Every bit of I don't know what I'm going to do left me. Every bit of alternative, if this don't work, I'll do that. All, every alternative left me. When the Lord spoke to my life and told me to do what I have now done, when he told me to do that, then all fear left. Everything was gone. It's just like when God gets involved, he begins to do something. He knows the future, and he'll always take care of us, and he'll always do what he said he would do. How many believes that? Say amen. He will. He will. And he tells him, the angel tells him that. And he also tells him this, call his name Jesus. He tells him what to do. He tells him what what to say to him, what to speak to him. From now on, start calling him Jesus. You're going to have a child. Mary's going to have this child. It's not of you. It is of God. Here's his name. His name is Jesus. Why? Because what he's going to do, verse 21, he's going to save his people from their sins. There is a mission 
for what has taken place. There is a purpose in this birth that's coming to pass. It's not of man, it's of God. And God's going to do something special in the earth through the Christ child, the Lord Jesus, that's coming through this virgin birth. And Joseph, don't you be afraid at all. Don't let it bother you. Everything's going to be all right. Everybody say, everything's going to be all right. If God's involved with it, everything's going to be all right. Amen? It'll be okay. You don't need to get all upset and all bent out of shape and everything else. Everything's going to be all right. Not a problem, whatever, once God gets involved. And, and that's what took place. That's what happened. Now, look, verse 22. Matthew 1, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. That is some big language, especially if you marry and you're the one having the child and you're the one engaged and never known a man. And she shares that. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, here's what Mary said. When she heard that from the angel, Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I know none of man. God, how are you going to do this? Mary's saying, In the natural, the last I understood, it took a man and a woman to produce a child. Ah, ah oh, Lord, help us. I saw this old Navy ad the other day. And on the old Navy ad, there, there's two, I guess look like they're about 28, 30-year-old young men there dressed up in their PJs. Ah, I'm sorry you hadn't eaten yet, but anyway, dressed up in their PJs on the sofa with two little kids holding on their knees with their arms around each other. Want me to go to Old Navy and buy something from them. Uh, I just call my stockbroker and tell them, sell every bit of Old Navy stock I got. Get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with them. Nothing. And the thing is this. Mary said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? I see that commercial and I say, how can that be when they're both men? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Try as you might. Try as much as you like. Ain't two men ever going to have a baby. Ain't two women, as long as they just stay women and women, ain't never going to have a baby. It ain't happening. If you want a little child, if you want a little precious infant baby girl or boy, then you're going to have to get it the God way. And that's man with woman and woman with man. Ain't happening no other way. Somebody say amen. That was free. Just throw that in there. All right. Now, notice. So what he says to him. He says to him that. Look at, look at verse 23. The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What was God doing? He was bringing God back to access with the people. Because the Bible teaches us in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 17, that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were kicked out of the garden and kicked out of God's presence. And some 6,000 plus years ago, every time it was, from 6,000 years ago, from there until now, or there until the time of the cross, then Adam and Eve were out of the presence of God. They were separated. Their sins had defiled them, and God would no longer fellowship with them. And for those 4,000 years up until the time of the cross, man was at the exile. He was enemy against God because of his sins. What was happening was this. When Jesus was born, 
He came into this world, lived a life without sin, and paid the sin debt that every man and woman had owed God since the times of Adam and Eve. Paid that debt, paid that price, paid it in full. And so now you and I don't have to be on the outside looking in. You and I can be in relationship with God Almighty. And I am. How about you? We are, aren't we? In relationship with God Almighty. Why? Emmanuel. God with us. That's why we're not fearful. That's why we're not afraid. That, that's why we have confidence and faith and hope in our future. Because God is with us. The Bible says if God be for us, the book of Romans chapter 8, then who can be against us? you got God on your side. You have got it made if you have God on your side. He'll take care of every circumstance and every situation. And God is saying, saying through the angel here to Joseph, here's what's happening. God is now coming with us through this child that is coming of the Father God. In Mary, born of a virgin, coming into the earth, is bringing God back to the people once again. What a great thing that happened. Look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, Tell you what, have a dream like that, that's enough to wake you up, isn't it? Aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. In other words, that's it. All issues are settled. Everything's okay. Come here, Mary. I know the world might still look at you and wonder what's going on, but not me. I have heard from heaven, and I recognize that what is born of you is born of God, not of man, coming through a virgin, a woman that had never known a man, a miracle of God's coming to the earth. And because of this miracle of God coming to the earth, God will be with us once again. And he says, I'm going to take you to my wife. Verse 25, and he did not know her. Again, the modest King James language. Had no sexual relation. Did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he did exactly what the angel said. He called his name Jesus. Somebody say, Jesus. Jesus. Called his name Jesus. That's who he is. Prophesied of the angel. Prophesied of the prophets of old. Birthed in her a virgin birth by God Almighty himself. And here we see it come to pass. Joseph gets up. What does he do? He's a doer of the word. He marries her. He got the word and he did it. I mean, he acted on the word that was given, and he began to talk like God says to talk. He doesn't say that that child, you know, that bad word that we use sometimes for a child without a father. He doesn't say that. He doesn't accuse that child of anything else. He said, that's Jesus. That's who that is. That's who God says it is. And you know what? If you and I take that away from today, we begin doing what God's told us to do, talking like God's told us to talk, just like Joseph, then you know what? We can bring things into our world. We're not going to bring in, you know, anything like this again. The virgin birth has happened one time, one time event. Ain't nobody else ever been a part of that but Mary. And the Christ child has now come. There does not need to be another Savior coming to the world. And so thank God that's happened. But there's other things our world needs. And you and I can do our part to believe God, stand on His Word, honor the prophets, what they've said, what they've spoken, believe God, have that relationship with Him, act on what God said, say what God said, and we can bring all kind of good things in our world. How many believes that? Say amen. Amen. That's what Christmas is about. Make something good happen for somebody. Bring something good into our world this day. Stand with me this morning. We'll go with the Lord in prayer. Ask God's blessings on us. In Jesus' name, if you're joining us on the internet as well, bow your head right where you're at. Everybody in the audience, please bow your heads. Let's go before the Lord. Let's close our eyes and let's just give a moment to the Lord this morning. Father God, in Jesus' name, I give you praise. I give you glory. And I honor you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, because you are still a miraculous God. 
You can do what no man or woman ever could do. You can do what I or anyone else could never do. You are a miracle-working God. You have proved that in bringing your dear son into this earth and into this world through, through mankind, yet but not from man. Lord God, you have produced in this world your dear son from the Virgin Mary. And God, we recognize a miraculous thing has happened. A supernatural event has taken place. And we are celebrating that time in these next few weeks, Lord God, here on planet Earth. I pray, Lord God, for each of us in the service today. If any of us have in our hearts and our lives, Lord God, anything within us, Lord God, that is not of you, Father, that is sinful, that is wrong, Father, I pray, Lord God, we confess it before you, we make it right before you, and we ask for your forgiveness, the cleansing of your blood. And, Lord God, that this day, Lord God, we say to ourselves that we will live faithfully for you from this day and evermore. May we receive the Christ child that you brought into the earth this day. May your hand of blessing be upon us in Jesus' name. Every head still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you're in the congregation with this morning worshiping and things aren't right between you and God and there's sin that's held you away from God, and you know that there is. I'm not asking you to join this church. Not really me asking you to believe what I believe. I'm just asking you this. If things aren't right between you and, you and God, you should make things right between Him today. Only way you can do that is say, Jesus, forgive you of my sins. And if you're here today and you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, or maybe you've known the Lord but you've walked away from Him, and you can say, I just need to come back to the Lord today. I need to renew my fellowship, my covenant with God today. If that's you, whatever it is, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Whatever it is that gives you the confidence and faith that everything's all right between you and God, then that's what you need to do today. You need to be serious before Him. And you need to truly invite the Lord Jesus into your heart to live for the first time. Or if He's coming to your heart but you haven't been walking faithfully, then confess your sins and make a new decision today that you'll live faithfully before the Lord from this day forward. If you're here today, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, and you're in the congregation, and you'd like to lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? Not come back where you're at, but I'm just going to lead everybody into prayer. And if you're here today and you won't like me to pray for you, I'm going to pray in just a few minutes. If you're online and you're looking and viewing online as well and you want me to pray with you online, then as well, you can just lift your hand right where you're at. And I might not see it with my eyes, but God will see your hand. And so anywhere in this congregation, anywhere online, we're going to pray this prayer together as we pray. Let's all of us pray it together in Jesus' name. Every one of us. Everybody say, Dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to look into my heart, look into my life. Anything you find there that's not like Jesus, take it away from me. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I covenant with you to make Jesus Lord of my life from this day forward. And forevermore, I will live for you. I give my life to you. And Lord Jesus, I want everything you've got for me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And I give you glory and thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. God bless. God's good, isn't he? God bless you. God bless you.